Amen. Please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn in our Bibles to the two passages there in your bulletin, Matthew 23 first, and then we'll turn to 2 Corinthians 9. Matthew 23, just the one verse, verse 23. And we'll turn to 2 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 6. Give your attention to God's holy word. Jesus said, Woe to you! scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel, and now turn over to 2 Corinthians 9. I believe that's page 968 in the Blue Pew Bible. 2 Corinthians 9. Verses 6 through 15. The Apostle Paul writes, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is, an over, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. While they longed for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy. Maybe seated. Well, this is a, uh, an occasional sermon, you might call it, um, on the topic of financial stewardship. Uh, it's 
one that I, uh, I don't tackle very often. Um, but we need to talk about this from time to time. Uh, financial stewardship, and specifically the believers worshiping the Lord through the giving of tithes and offerings uh, to support the ongoing work of the Lord in the world, the work of the Lord Jesus uh, in his church. Many, uh, many Reformed churches will have uh, on this first Sunday of the year what they will call Sunday, and they do it every year. Other churches don't, <laughs> and they never talk about money. I have to say that we're probably in that latter category. Uh, I think I've probably talked about um, these things maybe twice over the last however many years I've been here, 20, 20, 22 years or whatever it is. Um, R.C. Sproul wrote um, and expresses kind of my, my sentiments on this whole subject. He writes, at one point in my ministry, I made it a studied practice not to talk about money. I adopted that position for several reasons, including a desire not to sound like the professional hucksters of religion who are always watching for a sea of green in the collection basket every Sunday. I was convinced, furthermore, that it was a waste of time to discuss tithing, as I assumed that every Christian automatically did this and didn't need to be reminded of their duty. Such appeals would be wasted on a believer and would only serve to alienate an unbeliever. And so, when opportunities arose to address this subject, I passed. As R.C. Sproul. And this is pretty much how I've felt about this subject uh, all these years. I didn't grow up in a church that really ever talked about money, uh, didn't really address the subject, didn't train us uh, about it. And uh, then in college, I went to churches that talked about it entirely too much, and it was uh, just overbearing. Uh, but I don't think we should feel uh, that, that there's anything wrong with talking about this. It's right to talk about this. This is an important area of our lives. Uh, we certainly shouldn't feel ashamed to speak about these matters and to teach about it and to learn about it as believers. And one of the things about Reformed churches is that we seek to proclaim the whole counsel of God and not just certain parts of God's Word, but all of it. We believe that everything God has said in his word is right and true and inspired by his spirit and good for us. Uh, and we need to believe every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and apply it in our lives. Uh, so we shouldn't avoid passages and topics um, that make us feel uncomfortable or because we think uh, people don't want to hear that. We have to trust that all of God's word is good and it is true and therefore it, it's beneficial to us. We need it. We need every bit of what God says to us in his word and, and we should receive it humbly by faith and we should seek to bring our thoughts and our lives 
into line with what God's Word teaches us. We want to think His thoughts about everything. And so for that reason, we need to hear what God and His Word says about the subject of tithes and offerings. Someone has said, the generation that believed in tithing is in three places now, retirement homes, nursing homes, or cemeteries. That may not be too much of an exaggeration. One study showed that nationally, uh, a few years ago, only 4% of church members practiced tithing. And if that's the case, I'm sure that many, many people probably make a deliberate choice not to tithe. But I also wonder if part of the problem is that, well, like me, churches don't just, they don't want to address it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to um, speak of these things for fear of um, offending people and, and making them uh, want to leave and go elsewhere. You may be a person who is a young person and just starting to get into the workforce, just starting to um, earn a living, or you may be well-established, or you may be retired. But the question faces us all, will we handle money in God's way? Will we think God's thoughts about the money that God gives to us? When I was a young Christian with my first job, first real job, uh, after becoming a Christian, I, I was blessed to have a, um, a kind, mature Christian man come alongside me and tell me that it was very important to begin tithing from the money that I was making, to give 10% of my income to the Lord for the support of my church. And this came as a big challenge to me because I hadn't been taught to do this. I hadn't even heard of this at the time. I wasn't making very much money at the time. I was pretty much just scraping by. Uh, so I wasn't sure I could afford to do this. But this dear brother, this dear um, father-like figure in my life helped me to see that the principle of tithing is a biblical one. And so he encouraged me and challenged me. And he said, Nate, you can't afford not to tithe you need to bring your life into line with God's word. And this is a basic part of your life as a child of God. It's an important part of your walk with the Lord. It's basic Christian spirituality. And God's people today should still follow that practice of tithing and even try to go beyond, generously to go beyond tithing as the Lord blesses and as he enables us to do so. I'm very glad that I learned that as a young person. Um, I think it would have been much harder to learn it later and to start doing it after I'd been in the practice of not doing it for a long time. But, you know, many people are in that position. They haven't started doing it. Um, maybe someone here is in that situation. You've been a Christian for a while, but you've never started to tithe. My goal is not to make you feel bad. Again, I would, I'd rather be preaching just about anything else today. Um, nobody here is going to check on you to make sure you're tithing. We just don't do that. Um, I don't have any idea what anybody's giving. I don't want to know. Uh, 
but I'm just going to tell you what God's Word says and what He calls you to do as a believer and in your walk with Him. And it's between you and God. It is a spiritual issue between you and your Lord. And it's not about the church wanting to take your money, like we hear uh, people sometimes cynically say, oh, the church, don't go to church, they just want to take your money. No. Again, I hardly ever talk about this. This is a, a matter of Christian living, though. It's about you and the Lord, the Lord who has saved you from your sins by his grace. And it's his money that he gives you. Think about your money that way. He puts it into your hands. It's your stewardship. But it's really all from him. It all belongs to him. And he's given it to you to manage and to steward. And he calls you, he calls all of us as his people to give a portion back to him. He's freely given you everything that you have. He's given you the ability to work and to earn a living. Not to mention, spiritually, he's given you such a great salvation and this great Savior that we have. And it's all undeserved. It's actually just the opposite of what we deserve. We're so lavishly blessed by the Lord in spiritual things and in material things. We're so blessed to know him. We're so blessed to be able to rest in the knowledge that he's caring for us. He takes such good care of us. We're so much more valuable to him than uh, the little sparrow that he takes care of so wonderfully, as Jesus said. And so thinking of it that way, tithing and giving of offerings even beyond tithing, this is a response of a grateful heart. It's a response of thanksgiving, and it's a response of love to the Lord who first loved you. And he's given us so much. That's how we ought to think about this. Well, what is the biblical basis of, of this practice of tithing, of giving 10% of your income to the work of the Lord? Well, you need to think about the Old Testament first because that's where it was first um, done and um, first when God first called his people to do it. Uh, it was an Old Testament principle that God established, and the whole purpose of it was to provide for the ministry of the tabernacle, which later became the temple. You remember God took the tribe of Levi out of all the tribes when they came into the land. All those tribes had an inheritance in the land. They all had a portion of land in the land of Canaan, except for one, the tribe of Levi. They didn't have a portion of land. They were dispersed throughout the land uh, of all the other tribes. And God said, I am your inheritance. You will serve me. And he gave them the ministry of the tabernacle. And so this whole tribe, they didn't have a means of earning their own um, living. And they were to live and be sustained and provided for through the tithe of the other tribes. God declared that they should be supported through the tithe. And when we tithe today, 
we're acknowledging that God didn't just put a stop to that. Uh, even though the whole administration of the Old Covenant has ended and uh, the administration of the New Covenant goes on in a very different way, God didn't say, stop providing for my ministries. The same principle goes on and is observed now. The church is that vital ministry of God's word and God's presence among his people today. The church, you may call it, is God's temple on earth today, made up of his people who are indwelt by his spirit. But that spiritual temple also has physical needs, temporal earthly needs, uh, such as a building, uh, things like that. Uh, the cost of uh, providing for uh, the ministries of the Church of God. Uh, we still have a vocational uh, priesthood, if you will, although we don't call them priests. We call them pastors, missionaries, ministers. Uh, their lives are still given to the work of ministry analogous to the, uh, the Levites. And the, so the principle continues to be extended now into the new covenant that those needs need to be supported by God's people. There's so many ministries of the church. They happen locally in local bodies like this one. They happen uh, regionally, uh, especially in a Presbyterian church. There are needs at that regional level and nationally and abroad. Uh, and so God's people give to provide those needs. Uh, buildings are built and need to be sustained. Windows are broken out and have to be replaced, sadly. But there are expenses that go along with seeking to carry out the Great Commission. And it was uh, always going to be that way, and it is that way. But how did God intend for these things, these needs, these many needs to be supplied? Well, in the same way that they were supplied in the Old Testament through that principle that he laid down long ago, the tithe, and other offerings that might go above and beyond the tithe. So the majority of God's people are called uh, not to be in uh, full-time ministry but to be gainfully employed so that they can earn money to contribute a portion to care for the needs of the church. Of course, the majority of your money goes to care for yourself and your family, but also a portion to support the family of God, the church. Let's think about that first passage we read in Matthew 23, verse 23. That's a passage that many people have actually tried to use to claim that Jesus did away with tithing. He no longer uh, wants people to tithe under the new covenant. I actually believe this passage proves the exact opposite, though. If you read it even just a little bit carefully, you'll see that. Jesus is actually uh, not um, 
doing away with tithing. He's endorsing tithing as a continued practice. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done. But then he says, without neglecting the others. He was criticizing the Pharisees rightly, but not because they were tithing, not because they were very careful and scrupulous about tithing, but it was because they failed to pay attention to more important matters. But that doesn't mean that tithing was unimportant. And he says that here. He doesn't say stop tithing. He says, no, it's good that you're, you're doing good in that area. You're being very careful about tithing. You're doing well with that, but you're not doing well in these other areas. And these other areas are actually more important. The way you're living your life before God and before others and in relation to others. So he's saying there are things more important than tithing, but tithing is still important and it is still to be done, not to be neglected. Another important passage is the one we read in 1 Corinthians. Um, well, we read 2 Corinthians, but 1 Corinthians 9, Paul endorses the continued practice of tithing in the New Testament here. He points out the connection between the way the Old Testament temple ministry was supported, the tabernacle and the temple, the Levites, and the way the New Testament church ought to be supported in our day. He says, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. And in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now here he's specifically talking about ministers analogous to the Old Testament priests and Levites. But this tells us something. He's reminding the, the New Testament saints that in the Old Testament there was this God-ordained, commanded system in place for this very purpose of providing for the needs of the temple. And that was the tithe. And then Paul says, in the very same way, the Lord has commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. And he's not just saying here that churches should pay their pastors. He is saying that, but he's saying more than that by linking these two things together. He's saying that the support for the New Testament gospel ministry should be raised in accord with the old, same scriptural principle that that ministry was carried out under the old covenant through the principle of tithing. That's how the ministry was carried out under the old covenant. And Paul says that's how it should be carried out in the New Testament as well. That's how the New Testament church and its ministries should be supported. Tithing continues 
as the basic Christian principle for supporting the church and her ministries. So when we tithe a, a, a tenth of our income today, we're, we're not doing something that is, is, has been phased out. It was just something that was just for the Jewish people. No, we're honoring a God-ordained principle that Jesus and the apostles also approved of and endorsed for the continuing, ongoing ministry of the gospel in the New Testament. Now, there's more to say about this, and really only scratch the surface of it, but with the time we have left, um, I just want us to think about the motivation that we have for tithing and for all the offerings we bring to the Lord and for the ways we serve the Lord uh, in other ways with our volunteering and seeking to help others, seeking to serve in the church. We certainly should give to the work of the Lord through the church, but it's important to give in the right way. It's important to give with the right motivation. And all your giving, whether it is financial or um, physical help, um, mercy ministry, reaching out to others, encouraging people, whatever it may be, how you're using your gifts to serve the body of Christ, you should do it with the right spirit. We heard that in our second scripture reading in 2 Corinthians 9, where Paul says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I don't think this passage is is uh, saying we're not going to tithe anymore. Just give what you feel like in your heart. I don't think that's the point. The point is the heart needs to be on board with our giving. We need to be thankfully and cheerfully and willingly giving to the work of the Lord. That's the spirit that the Lord wants you to have in all your giving and serving and seeking to be blessing. He's saying, have your heart motivation right in all your giving. Don't give grudgingly. Instead, give cheerfully from a generous, willing heart. And he ties this in then with this proverb. Uh, We read it in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9. He says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It's an interesting image from farming. If you're a farmer and it's time to go out and sow the seed into the fields, and if you're super stingy about the way you do that, You know, you want to be really conservative and just put a few seeds out there. You want to save as many seeds as you can. So you only sow just a very few, the bare minimum of seeds. 
But guess how that's going to turn out for you later? He says, when harvest time comes, you're not going to be happy because you're not going to have much of a harvest at all. You as a farmer would be a very sad farmer when it's harvest time because you made the mistake of thinking you could sow sparingly. On the other hand, though, if you know what you're doing and you go out and you sow lots and lots of seed and you sow generously into the field, you sling those seeds far and wide, then when harvest time comes, you are going to be a much happier farmer. The earth will take your generous sowing of seeds and will turn that into a very generous return, a generous bountiful harvest. Of course, farmers know this, and so they don't sow sparingly. They know they have to sow generously. If they sow like Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge, trying to, 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 to keep the, the, those seeds all uh, stored up for themselves, it's going to end badly for them. So they sow many seeds generously so they can have a great harvest. But Paul's not talking about farming here, is he? That's just the illustration he uses. He's talking about giving to the work of the Lord through his church. And he's saying God is able to bless you far more abundantly than you imagine as you sow generously into his field. And so that image holds true for our giving to the work of the Lord. And that should help us to have a, a positive attitude and not a grudging attitude toward giving. That should help us to be cheerful in our attitude toward giving to the work of the Lord, knowing that we cannot out-bless the Lord. He can bless us far more abundantly than how we seek to bless him and to provide for the needs that he's called us to provide for. He's already been so incredibly, outrageously generous to us, hasn't he? Far, far more than we deserve in Christ. And he'll continue, he promises to continue blessing us, to continue supplying our needs. And he calls us to believe that, even as we sow generously into his harvest field. So that, that's a promise that God has called us to believe and to trust him. And believing him and his word, we should sow generously in anticipation of the Lord not only taking care of our needs, but bringing about a great harvest through the sowing of those seeds. Now, I'm not going to promise you that God is going to bless your socks off financially uh, if you um, give generously to the work of the church. Uh, I'm not going to promise you that you're going to become wealthy um, you might, he might do that. I don't think we have that promise in scripture, like the prosperity gospel preachers 
seem to claim and use in a manipulative way to get people to dump more and more money into the plate. But I do believe that God does honor those who honor him. And I will say that you can absolutely count on the Lord to take care of you and to provide what you need and to to abundantly multiply your spiritual blessings when you prioritize him in your life, when you put him first in all your life, and in particular in your finances. Giving is an act of faith. We give to the Lord as an act of worship, and we're trusting him that he will provide what we need to live on what is left. And my advice to you is to to look at it that way, to look at your bank account that way, your income. Put God first. Put him first in terms of uh, how you manage that money that he entrusts to you, he provides you with. Give to the Lord first. Let that be the first thing you do when you get paid. Even before you pay bills, even before you give to yourself for your retirement or anything else, then just live on what's left. God will honor that. And if you're concerned that you can't start um, tithing right away if you're not doing it yet and you can't, you don't think that you can do that all at once, well, challenge yourself to do it little by little, to increase little by little with that goal in mind. You can get there. It's a matter of trusting God and his promise to provide for you. And you can just live on what's left and there'll be plenty. God will honor that. He wants us to give him that first place in our lives. And he wants us to learn to be generous people. When we give materially to the work of the Lord, we're just giving God back what's already his. And we're giving an investment. We're making an investment in eternity. You're storing up treasure in heaven. That's your real home, not this world. So generously, cheerfully giving and willingly giving, that's how we are to give to the work of the Lord. And when we give that way, we're following our Heavenly Father's example because He gave so willingly his very best. He gave us his son and he gave him up on the cross so that he might give us eternal life and everything. We have everything together with Jesus Christ. Everything that is his, we have a share in as his people who are united to him and will be for all eternity. We are not going to run short. We're so greatly blessed already. Our cup truly runneth over, and it will forever. We can't even fathom how much better it's going to be, how much more blessed that we'll be for all eternity 
and in this life. And Paul says about this life, he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's a promise that God is going to keep providing for you. And he wants you to take that promise to heart and on the basis of it, do good for him. Do good for him. And in the context here, he's talking about giving. Living and giving generously. Don't doubt that the Lord will provide you all that you stand in need of. Hear it again. God is able to make all grace abound to you. You get the sense there that he's talking about when you take his word to heart and you act on it and you're faithful in seeking to serve him and give to him generously, he's going to make all grace abound to you. He'll provide what you need. You don't have to doubt that. And he's going to do it so that you can continue to be doing good and being generous. Grace has been given to us already. Not just the saving grace of the gospel, but the grace to supply what we need so that we can be generous in the way that we give of our funds, of our time, of our talents, of our service. He's given us grace so that we can be servant-hearted. We don't have to be just stingy about our time and just all about ourselves. We can be thinking about others and seeing how can we serve, how can we help others. He's given you grace for that purpose so that you can be outward-oriented and giving-oriented. He's given us abundant grace already to equip us for that generous, giving lifestyle. And again, we're not just talking about money there. We're talking about the way that we live our lives in seeking to help others. I just love, though, that he's promising us he'll give you more grace. He'll give you all that you need. He'll give us grace that is sufficient for every good work that he calls us to do. And he challenges us here to abound in good works. Abound in good works. That's a good challenge. His promise is to supply all that we need for those good works that he wants us to abound in. He'll make sure that we have enough grace to be generous, cheerful givers of the resources, the many resources that he's given to us. That's what Paul is saying when he says those words in verses 9 and 10 of 2 Corinthians 9. We'll close with these words. Listen to these beautiful words. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply 
and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. What a great promise from our great faithful God who provides so richly to us. Let's close in prayer. Our loving and gracious God, we thank you for all your goodness toward us. You are so rich toward us. You sent your Son who became poor for our sakes so that through his poverty we might become rich. And we are so rich in union and communion with him. We can never repay you for your marvelous grace that has saved us. And you have loaded us down with blessing upon blessing. We can never repay you, but we can respond with grateful hearts, with gratitude and gladness to your marvelous grace. And Lord, we confess that we need you to give us these kind of hearts, generous, cheerful hearts, hearts that are oriented to giving and serving others. We aren't like that naturally. I confess that. We can all confess that, Lord. So please forgive us for our, our natural ways and, and change us. Fill our hearts with um, uh, the greatness of your love and fill our hearts with a, a response of love and gratitude and of faith in you and, and teach us how much that you have freely given us in the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might abound with grateful lives and grateful service. It's in his name we pray. Amen.